Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Strap in as you are now listening to the Deep End Podcast. I'm kind of a big deal. Tune in on all podcast platforms and join us every Monday for a new show. But the man's in trouble. I'm going to show you how great I am. Well, I, I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War era. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. This show was created out of the idea and conversation around finding out who we are, why we believe, and why we navigate life the way we do. So join myself and my co-host Robert and many of our guests every single week as we try to unfold and dig up what has created us and made us the way we are today. Welcome to another episode of The Deep End. So on this episode, I am sitting down with three great people, um, one who is very close to me and two who are very new to the show. Um, I'm sitting in a room with myself, Ellen, my friend, Dr. Carlos, and Debbie, who is a mental health therapist. Both Carlos and Debbie work for Sanford Health. And this topic is a first part in a conversation that is really kind of derivative or maybe framed around the idea that what is diet? When we look at diet, is are we looking at it from a medical standpoint? Are we looking at it from a mental health, a well-being, a behavioral standpoint? And maybe just looking at the verbiage or and or uh, we could say capacity of what that means for us as the four individuals talking. So I hope for you as an individual, you listen to this conversation. You take a lot of pieces away that you might be having a conversation with yourself and or the ideas around diet and nutrition you might have but as always enjoy all right guys well welcome to another episode and another show um today's going to be an interesting topic so this is actually going to be some audio and a, and a conversation that's going to be recorded hopefully eventually for some cool use within a, um, a hospital and clinical setting um, for possibly some peer review conversations or maybe just creating a conversation in a more of a clinical and professional setting, but then also too selfishly for our show, um, we're going to be using this material to just share with everybody. Um, today's going to be a cool topic, but the disclaimer I want to put out there for this before we really get into anything is that as much as there are two very qualified people within this conversation, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about are more us wanting to cultivate a conversation around things versus trying to put things in a box, whether we're saying that these things are clinically proven or not that's really not the jumping point of this conversation this conversation is just to get people thinking and we're gonna be asking some really cool questions um but by all means there's four different people in this in this room in this conversation with four different experiences lives and different things so take the information as such as how it applies to you not more or less something that you're going to restrict yourself by by viewing what you're already doing or viewing what you think you need to be doing for yourself. So please take that as such. But yeah, so let's take a second and go around the room and kind of just introduce yourself and um, 
you could give your, your professional, you know, what you do professionally, um, but maybe more or less also to what's, what, why you're excited to kind of talk about this. So we'll start with you, okay. sir. Uh, my name is Carlos Miranda. I'm a pediatric cardiologist. I deal with um, structural heart disease, but I also deal with heart health. And uh, I do CrossFit along with um, uh, basically um, uh, I, com- I, I basically get involved with a lot of different conversations. And um, what's led me to this conversation we're about to have is just good discussion with good friends um, about dieting. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll bring it to you now. <laughs> yeah, this? yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm Ellen Rank. I'm a nutrition and lifestyle coach and a former college athlete. I do CrossFit now some martial arts and I'm excited about this. I've had a long history with food um, and eating disorders and working with people around food and so opening up the topic about diets is I'm always game to to talk about it. It's a big conversation (laughs) so it's it's cool yeah. Yeah and lastly I'm Debbie Suaveny. I'm a mental health therapist and I also am a runner um, and I started my career in eating disorders, ironically enough. Oh, I cool. worked in inpatient um, and partial hospitalization uh, eating disorders and became very passionate about eating disorders and the conversations around seeing individuals for the whole person and understanding sure. where eating disorders kind of originated and how we approach the conversation, how we broach the conversations, and right. how we can better understand people for sure. Who they are understand versus. that it's it's much more than just a clinical view it's really a, a personal view for a lot of people on these topics which is I think something that gets not talked about enough for people you know is that it's more there's a lot more humanity to these kinds of issues than just science which I think is something that doesn't get talked about enough but um, yeah for anybody that's not listening on our show my name is uh, Michael Vespa I'm the owner of a company called Ruthless in Pursuit. We work within uh, sports performance. Um, I've been within the coaching realm for mm, about a decade, and a lot of what's brought me to uh, find this conversation interesting is that, you know, I in my industry there's so many camps of thought, and there's a lot of fear-mongering around pushing people towards certain topics or what is better than the others, and a lot of times I made those mistakes early on in my coaching career too, and what I've come to find is that much like sports performance, nutrition, mindset, and you know just what makes people choose to do things is a lot more gray area than I think sometimes for those of us who have maybe a clinical mind or, or more clinical thinking don't want to admit enough is that there's a lot more gray area with dealing with the individual versus just trying to say apply something broad spectrum for a lot of people so but I know you kind of have an agenda so I'm going to let you kind of kick off the questions and so I'll kind of help you flow through that just for for a minute I wanted to talk about you know what is a diet um we all say we're on a diet what what is that diet is the is it the um uh salad only diet is it the I don't eat for eight hours diet or 16 hours diet um but what is a diet and I just wanted to see what your guys' thoughts are what do you think a diet is? I think it'd be kind of cool for you to start there, Debbie, because I think, you know, with the conversations and what you do with a lot of people, that's probably, I'd like to get your perspective on that first. Like, when you think of the term diet, like, what does that mean to you? Um, I think if I'm speaking from my own perspective, um, I don't often say I'm on a diet, sure. I guess. But that's my, a great place to start, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My, so my standpoint is that it, the most healthiest approach for me is not to have a diet, 
because um, I think it's easiest uh, to be able to have have a healthy approach and to uh, eat three meals a day and have snacks and to be able to have an open mindset to that. Sure. Now, if I'm thinking from a clinical mindset, right, and I'm going to see individuals who are coming in and really struggling with, um, I, I would I would call it disordered eating. Sure. Um, and struggling with um, not, you know, trying, maybe it's fasting, mm-hmm. um, right? Or maybe it's, I'm on a diet. And so it could be any form of, maybe it's portion control or maybe it's, I'm on a salad diet or I'm on a, whatever you might call it, diet, um, then we would call, I, I would identify that as um, disordered eating. And Expand upon that term a little bit for you, like where, what, how do you kind of explain to people maybe a little bit more of what you, you know. How do I, how what do makes you, a diet what disordered ma- eating? Yeah. Yeah. Not every diet is disordered. Right. Yes. So, um, so if somebody is restricting food um, intentionally to lose weight mm-hmm. um, in a way that is unhealthy. So sure. let me give you an example. So if somebody is um, somebody is counting calories to the point where it's under 1,200 calories a day with the intent to lose weight, um, to no longer have body fat, they're me- measuring their body on the chair, maybe they're... Um, stretching uh, with the intent to lose weight. Um, they're bouncing their legs um, with the intent to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Um, continuing to um, maybe take parking their car in the back of the parking lot to walk to the front mm-hmm. of the, you know, to the front of the door, um, doing things excessive. Maybe sure. I, I, we would be thinking about something like anorexia. Right, so, so you mean like even like where they're thinking beyond their meal, they're thinking beyond that, like even maybe beyond exercise, they're thinking of what can I constantly do to right. contribute to that. Right. So so that would be a disorder, right? That's I, I would I would call that sure um, disordered eating. Okay. Um, in that the intention is to have a disorder is the disordered eating in excess of the additional behaviors. Okay, okay, sure. And, and there's there's various types of disordered eating. Right. Right, that's just one one kind of example. extreme or right. one example. And for in your world, and you're looking at, at that mainly from a behavioral standpoint, you know, where if we're possibly looking at dieting or nutrition from a performance standpoint, right. that's different, you know. And I just want to clarify that because yes. for people listening, I don't want them to think that you just think, all dieting is disordered eating, and that's mm-hmm. why I wanted you to expand upon that. Yes, absolutely. So I like, appreciate that. Yes, because yeah. if I'm looking at it from an athletic standpoint, right, and I'm, yeah. if I'm gonna, if I think about myself as a runner, right, and I'm preparing, um, and I'm training, or, or I'm, sure, I'm in boxing and I'm preparing to fight in right. the ring, right, right, that there's a difference between. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, there, I don't want to speak off, that. but like. There is a difference, but that's not to say that every athlete that's trying to lose weight right. isn't disordered in their approach. Yeah, that's absolutely. The, that's the yeah. whole big gray but I, area, But I just right? want to make yes. that distinction there so yeah. somebody listening is not, well, she can't think that just because someone yeah, has yeah, a yeah. goal, that's disordered eating. And that's absolutely. why, that's exactly yeah. why I, I want to put you in a good spot to where mm-hmm. you could explain that so people yes. aren't just listening and thinking that, mm-hmm. you know, that nobody should be on a diet because it's a disorder. So absolutely. I thought that was a great explanation yeah. of coming through that. But yeah. I like what you're saying. So kind of yeah, follow, so. Where, follow where you're going with that a little yes. bit, Ellen. Just that I, and this is where I think that disordered eating gets so mucky, Mm -hmm. is that we have dedication, and then we have where that dedication toes the line to disordered eating. So you mentioned parking in the back of the parking lot to walk to the front. 
well, increasing your steps during the day, you know, maybe I'm not even from an athletic standpoint, but I'm just someone who knows that for my health, I should lose weight. So I'm, you know, I'm parking in the back to walk to Mm -hmm. the front and I'm really diligently counting my calories because I know that these mm-hmm. blood markers need to improve and through losing weight I can mm-hmm. do that and so or it's because like somebody told me a professional yeah. told me yeah, yeah told me that it's it's what I should do sure. um and I think that it's it's it gets murky and it's hard because you can be very dedicated for a purpose and that can be okay but in your mind that can change and it's when that changes that it becomes disordered eating sure. so it's hard I think it's hard, and I think what a lot of people are doing in society is they're labeling actions as disordered or not disordered, but it's not the actions themselves, it's the intent and the thoughts behind those actions that make them disordered, except for specific actions like binging and purging, and like that's a little bit different, but for the, you know, the majority of things. Right. Um... Yeah, and so I that agree. Was just my no, and I that. agree with you. And obviously, you know, we're our bias is a little bit that we're in the athletic performance space. And mm-hmm. I think that for me, where you know, to kind of continue my, uh, I guess my input on you know what is a diet. I think a lot of it for me is that I agree with you in the sense, and I agree with you too that I think with the term diet, you know, in my world. Diet and nutrition can sometimes actually be separate entities. And I think that well, if we're looking at diet from a positive view, yeah, we're restrictive. We're restrictive for a certain need for maybe a performance, a weight cut, a weight class. But it's to the extent where the athlete or the client understands that that is for a singular purpose of performance and it doesn't reflect on the identity of who they are as an individual. Mm-hmm. Where I think in the nutritional realm, a lot of nutrition, I think, you know, can either start with, hey, um, you know, I had certain blood markers at my annual checkup and my doctor was like, hey, your fatty enzymes in your liver are extremely high. Let's maybe look at changing some things in your diet, what that looks like. Let's look at the nutritional value of what you're putting in. And then for maybe the person who just wants to change their nutrition for just personal vanity, which I don't think is wrong, I'll look, I want to look better naked idea, that nutrition, that's nutrition there. But like you're saying, and you're saying, Debbie, that those lines if we're not careful or we're not educated or being diligent, can easily blur the lines and become a, a disordered mm-hmm. or more of an identity issue than you're saying in action mm-hmm. than anything. So I, I like the way both of yeah. you kind of explain that. And so I, You know, the, the thing I think about is, you know, you don't think about nutrition on a baby. You don't think about it on a child, on a kid, on an adolescent for the most part. Until it's until, an issue. Un, until it's an issue, obviously. Sure. And we do, we do deal with, uh, with obesity in kids, and that's for our a lot of other reasons um, other than balanced eating. Um, but at what point are you doing exercise and not giving your body what it needs? Right. And that's my question. Yeah, I feel like I. that's a hard question from the experience that I have in the nutrition realm because um, they're, like, if you are overweight and you're eating but you're not losing weight, from a scientific scientific thermogenic perspective, you are giving you are giving your body as many calories as it needs. Because if you're not losing weight, there there is not an imbalance. Right? So and it's been and this is going into the clinical side, right? Not the personal side, but it's been scientifically proven that people 
over uh, over represent the food that they're eating so they're actually eating more than they think they are mm-hmm. yeah, um, whether that's something is she's referring to maybe somebody who's using my fitness pal or logging it maybe through an app or something a lot mm-hmm. of the parties that we're involved with when we look at the caloric value or something we end up thinking we're expending a lot more than we actually are mm-hmm. and therefore we think what we're eating is less but actually it might not be yeah. in terms of like what you're saying for the action value of it yeah so we often see um people who are maybe overweight that want to lose weight that are working out really hard and they are maybe on a calorically restrictive diet which is what they theoretically would need to lose weight because you need to be in a caloric deficit and then if they're not losing weight it's m- more commonly there are some you know genetic issues and different things that people deal with but it's it's most commonly because they are eating the amount of calories to maintain their weight and so it's a hard question to say are they not giving themselves the food that they need because it's like well from a caloric standpoint you are because your body's not getting rid of any excess on your body but like from a mental perspective, maybe you're not. But right. that's that's where it gets really hard, right. and people and if, think that they're not eating enough, and there's just this. Well, whole... I think that's at, at, in the current point. I think that's that's the problem of the fact that we live in the age of information, right? Because maybe I don't need to hire a, a, a dietitian or nutrition coach because maybe I feel like I have the discipline or the wherewithal to go on the internet and find information about something or follow a template or a program, and I can take care of my nutrition itself but then like you're saying it's like potentially if we're not having a more educated or possible Mm -hmm. guided view of something we can hit those moments of resistance which again is a jumping point then for moving into something that's behavioral based then at that point because of and so I think I think to answer your question I think at least in my opinion where it becomes not the right thing is when when it's when the when the attachment is outweighing the purpose, you know. And so that leads me to another question, too. It's basically, are we worried about our image or are we worried about longevity? Are we worried <clears throat> to look good now, to feel good now, or are we worried about... And it, it might... I mean, I don't think those two things are exclusive. Mm-hmm. I think you can look good and then live long, but um, in my You're talking about the extremes. The extremes. I'm, yeah. my, in my opinion... Um, a lot of the diets are centered around what can I do to look better today mm-hmm. uh, versus what can I do in the long term to have a better life mm-hmm. tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and so how does that how does that tie in or does it tie in at all yeah. what, in your experience? I like that you said that you didn't think they were exclusive, but it also brings me back to when I was thinking about the word diet and how, to me, something I've always tried to at least convey when I speak is that I feel like diet has become such a singular moment in time something that you do Mm. for the short term but Mm. like the word diet wasn't intended that way I mean I I wasn't there when they invented it but like (laughs) a diet is just the food that you eat Mm -hmm. right and so like my diet or a perspective of of, yeah yeah and so it's like a lot of these diets are temporary are temporary and they're short term Mm -hmm. for results but there is a lack of creating longevity afterwards so i don't know if the problem is with the diets themselves or the fact that we don't know how to maybe we do a diet and we lose weight but then how do we come out of that to then maintain the progress that we've had or how 
you know, how can we... To get back to a center point. To get back to a center point, yeah. yeah. So so the, the average person will say, you know, I need to lose 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a, a, a watermelon water diet. <laughs> Which sounds and, delicious. And basically great, yeah. basically they lose the weight by, by default, mm-hmm. but then they go back to their normal ways. And mm-hmm. what you're saying is that, you know, your a diet is the way you eat. Mm-hmm. And if the way you eat needs to change, it needs to change for the long term, not yeah. just the short term. And or so, at least be able to show you the steps there, there and then after. Yes, you know but, your, I mean? but your diet should change. If, yes, if right. how you are eating now has gotten you to where you are, you can't expect to suddenly physically be in a different place eating the same way that you are now. Right, Correct. and I agree. Yeah. And, I, and I think before we even dive deeper into that question, I'd kind of like to hear yeah. you know your perspective. Like, let's let's say I'm sitting, I'm a I'm a patient. I'm sitting in front of you, and it's like. I'm dealing, I'm, you, you maybe notice that I am already maybe in the thick of a disordered or I'm either getting there or maybe coming off. Like for you in your professional practice, like how do you start to navigate people maybe through the thought, the verbiage, the, yeah. the practice of getting in or out of that state? Yeah. So I want to go back um, to what, what it was that we were just um, talking about when you say, you know, we have a lot of information at our fingertips, yeah, right. right? And so if you think about now we're at the brink of we have a lot of information at our fingertips and we're told well now we're 10 pounds heavier and we're in division one right Mm -hmm. and we have all this information at our fingertips imagine the shame Mm. that it is that now we're experiencing Mm. or the guilt that it Mm. is that we're experiencing Mm. um i am not going to want to call somebody and ask for consultation and say hey man will you walk me through this i don't know how to eat healthy or I look up to you and I admire you so much. Can you give me the tools I need to learn how to have that longevity in my diet? Because you're right, diet isn't, I wanted to lose that 10 pounds yesterday, but I want to be able to have it long term. Sure. Right? I want that longevity, but I also want to look good now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in my practice, I work to be able to empower people Hmm. to have a story Hmm. and to be able to get rid of that shame, get rid of that guilt, because that 10 pounds happened for a reason, right? Right. Or that 10 pounds was gained because of of shame or guilt or feeling unworthy or whatever it was. There's a story. Or maybe sometimes for some people, maybe just not even like financial resources to work with somebody. Work with somebody. You know what I mean? Which which in our world, that's, you know, that's a pain point that we run into all the time. It's like, I've, you know, and and people don't use that word, but we, you hear it when you talk to people like, I don't, I don't like the way I look or I like the way I feel. I want to work with you, but I can't afford that. I can't afford it. It's like a food desert. I didn't know that you were even available, right? Right. And I don't even know how I'm going to make it work. And I want this to work, and I want to keep the pounds off. And now look at what you've helped me accomplish. How do I do this? And so working to empower them and equip them and build their self-esteem, which is what you guys are doing well, right? Hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) That's the goal. Um, And so similarly, that's what I would do in my practice clinically. So what would you say for changing those thoughts? So what would you say for maybe somebody who maybe who comes from working with, let's talk nutrition, like who comes from working with a nutrition coach and got just phenomenal results. But a lot of that approach in that nutrition was driven in black and white science that, you know, science doesn't lie. You know, if we do certain things a certain way in a caloric deficit in a healthy way, by eating healthy foods, healthy gut biome, looking at blood markers, mm-hmm. but they, 
at some point that's a very rigid view it's a very effective view it's a rigid view in just in science practice Mm -hmm. and then usually after that it's when people can't intuitively find how to maintain that after like what are your kind of views on you know should we should we always fall back to science or should we start taking the humanity side of that approach a lot more serious even though it's a gray area if we want to refer to it as a as a science because every individual and every individual story is different you know i think i I think you're right every individual is different every metabolism is different the genetics are different so that's the science part right and then the and then your experience i think that um Yes, uh, you sh- there must be some truth behind everybody's experience, especially when they're, when they're losing weight, feeling good, and they have a balanced life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's when I think that life doesn't appear balanced, or people feel maybe bothered by your life, where I feel that uh, you've probably gone too far. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, obviously, obviously, there must be some truth behind that that. Right, the science, right, and and the black and white. Right, there must be some truth behind both. Sure. Uh, but who really understand? If, if somebody really truly understands diet, we wouldn't be talking about it all the time. Mm. Everybody just be doing the same thing. Sure. And I think that enough people are doing so many so many things differently that um, it's it, it merits a conversation mm-hmm. and maybe some further studies as well. So as but, as people, uh, and sorry, I'm going to make a, no, cl- a quick question. So for people who are in a clinical setting, would you both agree? that obviously science has brought us to being able to understand and manipulate these things, but the, the human and emotional component is just as important as the scientific component when we're looking at diet and nutrition. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people think, everybody thinks differently, and again, this is kind of my saying, but everybody has a story, right? So right. you can say, um, and we can all say, I think we can mutually agree, like science is going to tell us, like we do this and this and this, right? right. And that's going to show us... Um, the research, the evidence, right. but not everybody's going to buy that either. We have to be able to equip them with the long, yeah. this the relationship. You have to be able to build a relationship with somebody to to prove to them that the science works. Hmm. To be able to see the results and have them buy into that, from it, my standpoint, it's all intertwined. Every time I hear, I have a conversation with anybody who's talking about the black and white. I have this diet from this one person seems to work. They always talk about the science anyway. They're talking about, um, they're talking about the all the way down to the mitochondria sometimes. <laughs> which, <laughs> my, which, is which is even true? What is even? And it, and that's all based on science. They talk about the caloric intake and out and, yeah. and output. That's all based on science. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like science, like you said, has led us to this point. I think people, it's like anybody you, read, you can manipulate the science to mean whatever you want it mm-hmm. to mean, and and that I think is where we're at. So. Yeah. It leads me, so for instance, uh, we had discussed already like the, the short diets that we do to get to where we want to be at the moment. Right. And that leads me to one one next topic is, you know, we talk about diet, actually eating. How about when you don't want to eat? Let's say you, yeah. you feel, how does, how does fasting play a role in a quote-unquote diet? Right. So, yeah. I mean, from my perspective first, I think that, and, you know, for whoever ends up listening to this, you know, my perspective is going to be very biased towards myself and the people that I have dealt with and work with. But for me personally, I think that when we view fasting, is there current and ongoing research to support both primal, primal, you know, uh, positive outcomes and some cell, 
you know, uh, gut health. There, there are a lot. There are a lot of autophagy. Autophagy. Yes, that's the word I was working for. There are a lot of. There's a lot of things to support that, but at the same time, I think that where, with with something like fasting, I think it has to come back down to your why. Mm-hmm. You know, like for me or your story, because you know, for me, and and this is this is if if we are really trying to gear this conversation towards long term sustainable. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a, a approach yes. you know what I mean where yes the I want to look good feel good and pull back the dial on disease mm-hmm. and increase the dial on age I think with something like intermittent fasting yes there is science that supports something like that but at the same time why are you doing that because intermittent fasting is not a long-term solution as for is a lo- for a lot of people as and that's what I'm gonna say as is other styles of nutrition and dieting mm-hmm. you know for me it comes something to me when I'm not in a state of training I can help myself focus on due, due to time restrictions I can help myself focus on making sure I don't accidentally go into a caloric surplus that is my story mm-hmm. you know there's other things that it's potentially helping insulin sensitivity potentially pushing back diabetic uh, pre-diabetic conditions mm-hmm. increasing uh, you know what is it uh igf1 factor like there's a lot of science to support it but i just think again back to your point debbie that you kept making is that it's got to be about your story and i think that a lot of the people that are going to be hard on for the science are going to think that i sound like a freaking hippie you know but again it's got to be about the psyche of the individual because that will also along with the science of nutrition dictate your long-term success with anything you know and I think that fasting, because you had mentioned how it's just such a, it seems like it's just such a big thing. It's now. a buzzword right now. And I, and I feel like why it has gained so much traction and a lot of people are taking to it because they find it easy is because if you think about, I mean, most of these people that are fasting aren't doing it because they can feel their human growth hormone raising, <laughs> right? They're doing it because... Yeah. Because they're losing weight, and if you or they don't feel like they have to clear out their pantry because they instead they can just say, well, I can only eat what's in my pantry between this time and that time. Yeah, Yeah. but if you're if you're minimizing your window of eating, hopefully you're not eating as many calories, Mm -hmm. which then is leading you to weight loss. So essentially, fasting is only really contributing, and this is I haven't done any science research on it myself. How dare you? But it's. (laughs) Contributing to weight loss, not because of all autophagy and all of those other factors, but because it's decreasing your caloric intake, which at the base of every diet is what it is. And one thing acutely, just um, just to add to that point, is that when you when you do not eat for three days or two days or whatever it is, you're actually losing mostly water. Mm-hmm. And I want to make that clear because um, every food has water. Water obviously has water. And so if you're not taking intake, any intake of water or food, eventually you're going to dry out. And so you don't lose eight pounds of fat in three days. No. Um, and a lot of people who are showing numbers out there saying that they've lost eight or ten pounds in three days, um, <laughs> Hope I hope they understand it's water. Yeah. I mean, what is it, like 3,200 calories about is a pound of fat, technically, so you have to eat in that much of a deficit to lose a pound. Something similar to that yeah, number. Yeah, but like even going back to like the personal side of that, what you just said, most people won't ever even know. No, I know, which you is, know, it just, it but adds what I'm to saying, But that's water. good that you say that because yeah. how many people are going to do or follow one of these things either on their own and feel as if they've failed at some point mm-hmm. because they don't understand everything. So I think, and uh, you know, to kind of wrap this up in part one a little bit, I think, you know, in, in talking about... And talking about intermittent fasting and, and that like 
that's my point is like how far can you push something like that without education or unfortunately in the age of information i shouldn't say unfortunately because it's we live in a beautiful time of education mm-hmm. but you know like for you with disordered eating w like how far do you like when like when do you feel like these people are is it is it too far when it's just presenting itself or do you feel like there's earlier ways that we could go about? I would say I would say what are the what are the signs? If somebody's going to do this, and we can't sure, prevent that's everybody a good, from that's doing, a better way to say if it. we can't prevent any everybody from fasting, which is fine, because I think there's a lot, there are a lot of religions out there that fast, mm-hmm. a lot of cultures out there that fast, and unfortunately, people fast by accident too, um, or just over controlling any kind of diet approach. You exactly. Know, really. yeah. So then, when somebody decides to fast, what are the early signs of? of a problem and i think that that's what people maybe would want to know and i would be careful there too it's not even just fasting but with anything with With any diet with any diet like where do you feel like you start to for you as a in practice where do the red flags start to pop up you know whether that's in a conversation with a client or Uh and i know that's that's a very broad question yeah so i so this is fascinating and i think that's what's hard so ironically enough um what research tells us is that most people, and you're, you'll be shocked to know this, most people from the time that it, uh, symptoms start to the time that even in adolescence, the time that somebody seeks treatment is 10 years. Wow, 10 mm-hmm. years. 10 years. A so, decade, holy cow. But by the not, time you, you say holy cow, but you don't, as someone who's had an eating disorder, it, it time just keeps moving and you don't huh. realize that, right. that you're continually doing this thing that is not good for you for a mm. very long time interesting that's really you that's really insightful yeah. like i look back and i'm like six years holy shit yeah. <laughs> like that's a long time yeah but while it was happening i didn't understand yeah. or conceptualize absolutely yeah. so sometimes it can be as it can be as extreme right by the time that they come to see me as like well, I had a goal weight, and mm. then I hit my goal weight, and then I had a lower goal weight. Mm. Or that other times it can be like, well, I started fasting, and then it worked, and so I, I started fasting for another hour, mm-hmm. and then it worked, and I fasted for another hour, and that worked for me. Or it can be as extreme as, well, I was fasting, and then I started binging because I was really hungry during mm. the day, and I then I started I had lost, started losing weight, and then I started gaining weight. Right, sure. I was so I started binging or I started fasting for longer periods of time, but then I was really, really hungry, and so I started binging, which means I started eating more and more and more food during the time that I allowed myself to. But then I would get up in the middle of the night and I would comfort eat. Mm-hmm. So I would eat in the middle of the night as much as I could, and then my body would hang on to the fat. And I would sleep on it. Sure. So I, I, my body was actually doing the opposite of what I really wanted it to. Sure. And then psychologically, I felt shame. Self defeating. And it was self defeating, yeah. and I was embarrassed. Mm. And, and the so then I engaged continues. in other things like yeah. self harm, or you know, then I hit the gym harder. That's excessive exercise. And then I was doing things to punish myself, and then like you're saying, right? Then the cycle just continues. Sure. And then I see them. Right. Right. Oh man. Because we know that when the damage has been done. The damage yeah. has been done. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You might you. I probably say I would even in this room. You probably have the most difficult job, you yeah. know, uh, so to speak, in that regard. Because I think what's interesting about your, you, what you said, and, and maybe to close before you, you have anything to close with Carlos, is that what's so interesting to hear what you're saying is a lot of the people that we talk to that maybe are in the middle of that or whatever. It's like 
trying to get someone to let go of that when they've seen results, even if there's been a big up and down, it's like they almost don't want to believe you because they've found, in, at some point in that period, have found some sort of result for themselves. And so it's like trying to explain to them, hey, this isn't the right thing to do. It's like, well, man, that means, are you trying to take this away from me? It's like, and then that control, and we see, you know, I've seen it with, like you're saying, excessive exercise, not uh, sleeping less so I can so I can work more. Um, drinking. Drinking or, uh, you know, just um, even something that we deal with, like with the competitive athletes that we uh, with, it's like, I, I don't go socialize on the weekends anymore because I don't want the temptation of alcohol or being around pizza or if I go and eat that thing with my friends, even though emotionally that's good for me, I'm going to go home and I'm going to purge because of the shame that Monday morning will bring. You know, that's yeah. an interesting thing. You know, if I have people over my house and all of them are from the same gym, the... You judge each other. Well, but I, I, never, I, re I never realized that was even an issue until I joined CrossFit. That was never an issue before for me. Never in Chicago. People ate everything around me. Mm -hmm. And so here I would prepare, let's say I did prepare that pizza... Uh, I'm saying people are looking at each other and they're not taking a slice of Who's going to eat it first? Who's going to eat it first? And once one person eats it first, everybody it's eats it. Like I said, that perception. It's a, and it's yeah. a huge issue, I think, among athletes, too. Yeah, we, we've dealt with it. Yeah. And we've seen it a lot. When yeah. I was in, like, the thick of my eating disorder, I, I wouldn't ever eat anything when I was out. I never ate anything bad. And a lot of people saw it as dedication. So I'm and shamed you for it. And shamed me for yeah. it. So they were shaming me for not eating with everyone but then when i ate off my plan i got shamed for eating that food yeah. and so there was there was like no winning it's There's a cycle no winning. Yeah. yeah you mentioned something interesting that debbie yesterday when i had asked you to come on this show this uh program excuse me and so basically uh you had mentioned that some people use a diet as a way to as a, as a socially accept, socially acceptable way to not eat in front of people like mm. for instance mm. go ahead, you, you, I never thought about that you, yeah you so it, yeah so we had just exchanged conversation yesterday and a lot of times what can happen is it's socially acceptable now and very very common right to say I'm gluten intolerant mm. I am I'm vegetarian I'm vegan so when we go out and we're all eating um and maybe we're training or that kind of especially thing. when we can snap a picture of it and yeah post we, can, it. we can post it it looks really pretty yeah interesting. Um, now we can we can say like I, I i'm you know i'm vegetarian or i'm vegan or i'm gluten intolerant and or i'm on this specific diet and now that's culturally acceptable mm. and we don't question it and maybe we go home and you see they're eating and you're like what the hell but and it's okay sure but we don't question it because it's so socially sure. acceptable um, and so we were just exchanging conversation yeah, yesterday very, about I, that. I never, I never saw it from that view. And so uh, how often that happens, and you know, you're talking about that well, too, Well, the fact right? that you're in a restaurant with people and they say, well, I'm gluten, I'm gluten, I'm gluten free, but they end up not eating anything because of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and they don't have celiac disease. Mm -hmm. Um, just always kind of interested. Or almost in some ways in society, even by like you're saying, just choosing to say I'm going gluten free, it's almost like. A mental win above maybe your peers even to be like oh you ate your burger with a bun well guess what I'm gluten free I'm not gonna you know it's like in your head that's very interesting I think it's a good place to kind of yep. stop there yeah. so I, I think to continue this conversation from here I think in part two I think I think what would be interesting to, to do from this point and as people are listening and maybe can kind of get their minds geared in for the next part of the topic is I think looking into the idea of where do these ideas 
in society now like where do we start where can we start to break break away from that a little bit you know and just maybe understanding what are there certain groups that we're in or is it a certain place we're at or work or school or performance like how do we start to break apart those pieces of where like you're saying those identifying behaviors start to come from because i think that's a very interesting mm-hmm. thing that just doesn't get talked about mm-hmm. enough yeah so but well thank you everybody for being part of this and carlos thanks for putting this together yeah, i sure. hope that for anybody that ends up listening um you know if if you have questions um please feel free to reach out in the show notes we'll have contact information for those who um, are willing to have contact points out there but as always again remember that these are this is a conversation um and that much like you said at the beginning like you have to understand what your story is and so as you're listening to this don't listen to this necessarily as hard truths but listen to this as how are you ask yourself how you're viewing what you're doing and and even and i think if, if people listening if you just start to ask yourselves those questions you can maybe get to those answers in a more healthy or less fearful way so is there anything you kind of want to add in closing you know i think that um just like anything else in, in life uh, there's no one easy solution to fix one any one thing, um, and then that's basically my, my sure. point. I want to. Is there anything you kind of want to close with, either? No, we all have a story. Yeah, yeah. I like that, mm-hmm. Ellen. Anything for you? No. Yeah. I don't think so. I sure. think it just it goes back to the story thing. It's all how it's not just your actions, but it's everything that goes on in your head mm-hmm. while those yeah. actions are happening, mm-hmm. and just learning to be very conscious of that. And also, too, science is so important, so don't think listening to this that we think that everything should be based off of feelings, because there is sci- science Science will refute a lot of that, and that's fine, and science is important. Um, so I think that listening to this conversation, don't think that we're saying that your feelings are everything, because it's not. Sometimes it's just you just need to work a little harder or really listen to somebody. So, But yeah, but thank you for listening, everybody, and we'll see you on the next episode.